0: Take copy of the scriptures and turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'll be reading verses 17 to 29, uh, but before we hear from the Lord, let's go to Him again in prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You again for the privilege to come before You and to hear from You. We confess this morning that this is Your Word written down expressly as you have breathed it out and preserved it for us. You are the one Father who has spoken in various times and in various ways to your people in the past, but in these last days in your Son, Jesus, the Incarnate Word. We pray that you will open the mouth of your servant now to proclaim that word in the power of the Spirit. and We pray that the same Spirit would open the hearts of its hearers here assembled to receive your holy gospel, and write on their hearts your holy law, even as you have promised. All of this, gracious Father, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, turning to verse 17, please give your full attention. This is the word of our God. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread Or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So for the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. <clears throat> well, Around ten years or so ago... Uh, and sadly it still lingers today there was a theologically aberrant movement that included an advocacy um, among other things an advocacy for pedo communion and that is they were wanting to have very young children including infants uh, partake of the Lord's Supper no public profession of faith needed just get them the bread and the wine and as you know, here at this church and all historic Presbyterian Reformed churches following the scriptures uh, believe that there should first be a mature reception of the gospel and a profession of faith publicly before communion is shared. Uh, we haven't invented something new out of whole cloth here. Uh, rather, we side with, again, the, the historic churches of the Re- Reformation, the Protestant churches that has worked out the Lord's Supper, uh, that it is a meal of maturity. It is a meal of mature expression of faith in Jesus. Um, I want us to see this morning um, something of what the supper is. Um, it can be confusing sometimes to grasp what is going on, how sacraments work, um, and what is the meaning of the sacraments. It's helpful to have to realize that one sacra- one sacrament is initiatory and the other sacrament is ratificatory, right? It ratifies one sacrament, baptism, is an initiatory rite. It identifies, it marks off, it admits, it initiates those in the covenant community. And therefore, it is done but once. The other sacrament, the Lord's Supper or communion, is a ratificatory rite. It ratifies, it renews the covenant. More on that as we go forward. But some people make the mistake of equating, flattening out the sacraments. And indeed, that's what this uh, theologically aberrant movement. Uh, does, uh, But when it comes to the question of admitting infants or very young children to the Lord's table or requiring a mature response from them, a time of spiritual growth, first a time of cognizant, mental, intellectual awareness of what these things actually mean and coming and expressing true faith in Christ about these matters, Protestant churches, including us here at Providence, have been united on how these questions are answered. And how do we know that? Well, we know this because it's been the practice of churches almost universally to put down in writing what they believe the Bible teaches. They have written down what they confess to be true concerning what the Bible says, uh, and they have been united in the belief that infants, those that are to be baptized as part of the covenant community, they are in a stage of immaturity, and that the very nature of the supper is calls for a mature expression of faith. And so that's what we'll be looking at today. We come uh, this morning to an outline that you're familiar with, as it was erroneously, uh, by my my part, put in the bulletin last week. Um, But we're looking at the supper today, this morning, what the supper of the Lord, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, what that is. And truly, it is a meal like no other. A meal like no other. Sadly, many churches... Um, diminish or they degrade or they think little of what the supper is. Uh, but we we'll are try to look this morning at a few points of what it is. What, this, what is this meal like no other? We'll look first that it is a renewal and as a ratification, the covenant. And then secondly, we see that it emphasizes, it highlights, it stresses active faith, active faith. And undergirding this all, we see that it is a meal of maturity. It's a meal of maturity. So first we see that the supper is an act of covenant renewal and ratification. That's the understanding of the very nature of the supper itself. We touched on this last week. Uh, The Lord Jesus said that this, remember, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's the new covenant. We talked about sacramental language. And this sets it apart, right? This, this, This cup is the new covenant. This sets it apart from the old covenant right there's a contrast there the old covenant you'll recall as we read was contracted on Mount Sinai new covenant was ratified by our Lord Jesus on the cross Jesus said this cup is the new covenant in my blood he's instituting a covenant and he thereby ratifies that covenant he's instituting uh, instituting it in the supper but he ratifies it in his cross and it's in response to the old covenant Ratification. Remember back in Mount Sinai for a moment. I right? think of how all that went down. That's why we read this this morning um, in Exodus chapter 24. Remember, as Yahweh gives them the Ten Commandments and they respond to that revelation from God of the Ten Commandments, what happened? Right, verse three of Exodus 24. Moses came down and told the people all the words that the Lord uh, of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people with one voice said all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Right? And so what is that there? Right? Part of the people, uh, they're ratifying the relationship and their response to the covenant was an intelligence, an intellectual comprehension, a cognizant commitment to that word by the people. Right, Again, in verse 7, it says the same. All the words that the Lord has spoken, We will do. And this was followed by, remember, Moses and the elders went up on the mountain. And the declaration of the people was followed by the elders and Moses having a meal, right? A covenant meal through which the covenant was ratified on the mountain with Yahweh, the Lord. And it says they ate and they drank and they beheld God on the mountain. And so the people... Did what? Right, by and large, they did two things. right? There we have the people giving a public profession of faith, responding to the terms of the covenant, and then the second thing they do is eat. right? They eat. They have a meal. And Who is there? Right? Who is there publicly professing their faith in words and comprehension? Well, it's not the infants because they can't speak. They don't have the mental capacity. They, can't, uh, they don't have the cognition to do so. And what else can't the infants do? They can't partake of that meal through which the covenant was ratified, right? They can't eat that meal. And yet, infants were on the mountain. They were there with the rest of the family. And they were part of the covenant community. And they had been circumcised. And they were incorporated into that covenant community by taking the mark, the sign of the covenant. But they did not partake in these more mature acts of covenant ratification, profession, and eating, And so we need to see there, right in the Old Covenant, we see this distinction made between maturity and immaturity. We need to recognize how the covenant is renewed and how the covenant is ratified upon Mount Sinai. And again, it is done in a reasonable, responsible, mature commitment. It involves a seriousness. It involves an understanding of what was going on. And the infants, of course, cannot accomplish this. They cannot do these things. But even though the infants could not render a mature response, they did receive the benefits of it by virtue of the covenant community. right? And notice this. Do you see there there are these families? They are there in those families. And Moses instructed those families that because their children were covenant children, they are to be instructed, instructed and reared according to the covenant. They are to be taught what the covenant demands. They are so that they would grow up and mature, fearing the Lord in their response to the Lord, loving the Lord. And so we must see that in the old covenant ratification and new covenant ratification, there is this cognizant, thoughtful, active response that is inherent in ratifying the terms of the covenant. And then one more thing before I move on to the second point. And that is this. Notice what happens when Moses is on the mountain and he takes the blood. Who gets sprinkled by the blood? Look in verse eight of Exodus twenty-four. It says and Moses took the blood and threw it on the people, and he said, "Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words." Right? He sprinkles, he throws it on all the people. It was for all of them, including the whole families, infants included. But when he was regard, but but, but when it was regarding the public vowing, the public profession, and the eating of that. Uh, ratifying meal, the meal of maturity. Infants cannot be part of that. So there's a distinction there. And when we look at the, at, at the whole of God's revelation, at the history of redemption, we see this distinction and also makes sense that the New Covenant celebration uh, of the Lord's Supper, this distinction is there as well. And how is that? Well, that brings us to the second point in your outline. Uh, what is the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper uh, is a meal that emphasizes active faith. It requires active faith. The supper inherently emphasizes the active nature of faith. It accents a coming to Christ. Notice again the difference with baptism and circumcision. Those are infant rites of incorporation. Notice that in both of those, baptism and circumcision, notice the one who receives is what? He's passive. Right? He is passive. It's done to them. In circumcision and baptism, the circumcision is done to the one being baptized or being circumcised. And that's true also, by the way, of one who was perhaps not raised in a Christian home and wasn't brought up that way, but he comes to Christ later. When they are baptized, when we baptize them, they are passive as well. Right? Baptism is given to them. Uh, the one receiving baptism has it applied to them. That's not the case with the supper, right? There's a distinction there. The Lord's supper is distinctly different, right? In the supper, the one partaking is active, right? He or she is responding to what is being offered. They are actively eating and actively drinking. And that act of eating and drinking involves an awareness of what is going on. It involves an understanding of what the table is. It is a meal that requires maturity, a mature response. Our New Testament text for this morning, John 6, is not directly about the Lord's Supper. Uh, this is what the medieval church believed that it was. And indeed, the Roman church today, the church of Rome, uh, errs in affirming this as well. Right? They see Jesus talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and they say, See, there you have it. There it is. And they teach that the elements of the supper actually change into the body and the blood of Christ. But we know for a number of reasons that that just isn't the case. And one way we know that is uh, that it's not the case and that's not what Jesus meant is if we look at the same chapter, John 6, and we read verse 35, and recall, you just heard it, he says there, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Right? And so how do we partake of Jesus? How do we eat and drink of Christ? Well, we come to him and we eat and drink. And Jesus is talking about partaking, not physically, corporeally, literally, but by faith. He's speaking of, of spiritual eating and drinking, not physically eating, not literally eating and drinking. And that's what the Jews, by the way, also misunderstood in the context of what Jesus is saying here. And it was so off-putting and senseless to them, right? They're thinking, are we supposed to take a bite out of his flesh? They interpreted it literally. And so does the Church of Rome. And they developed this teaching to try and make that work, but it just doesn't work. But how did Jesus, what did he mean when he says this? He says we must eat his flesh and drink flesh. His blood, after all. It's right there in the text. Well, we teach that we eat and drink of Christ by faith. It's spiritual. It's not a physical eating that Jesus is teaching here. It's spiritual. That's what we believe and that's what we teach. And thankfully, Jesus clarifies and responds to the stumbling, offended Jews. And in doing so, He clarifies for us as well. Look down at verse 63 of chapter 6 in the Gospel of John. He says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. It is of no use at all, the flesh. And so he makes the distinction there. He tells us right there, it's not about the flesh. It's not about the physical flesh. He says, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So Jesus is talking about spiritually, by faith, eating and drinking of him, in a way that you were taking Christ into yourself by faith through the Holy Spirit. And I pray, brothers and sisters, dear Christian, I pray as you pray and you prepare for the Lord's Day and for the Lord's Supper that you reflect on these things. May we all come before the throne of grace and before the Supper in prayer and ask the Spirit to work in our hearts uh, and, and for the faith to receive the Supper and truly by faith to do so. Well, as I said, John 6 isn't about the Supper uh, at all, but why would I read it? What is it about? What is John 6 about? Why would we read that this morning? Well, John 6 is about feeding and faith, as one pastor put it. It's about faith and feeding. And we read it because the sacrament, in the sacrament, this bread and wine is a sign of the reality. right? And we, we learn something of this sacramental language there from John chapter 6. And it is also a seal that the Holy Spirit uses in your heart As you eat the bread and drink the wine, the Holy Spirit in your heart arouses, builds, it stimulates and nourishes faith in your soul. This is the means of grace by which he has uh, uh, ordained and commanded that that take place. And let's clarify on the other side as well. If you do not eat and drink in faith, you will not receive the thing signified by the elements. Faith is required. That is the required thing to receive. In fact, it's very dire. What does the text say? If you do not, if you do not receive, if you do not eat and drink in faith, it says you'll be damned. what the text says. And so the Lord's Supper is a picture of a spiritual eating and a spiritual drinking by faith that is the sign and the symbol of these things. And that's sacraments 101. There is the sign and the things signified by that sign, the greater reality So, the supper is a feast that is spread by the Lord Himself. And it is not applied passively to you. Rather, you come actively. You come to the feast actively. You actively and partake by faith. The eating is an act of faith in and of itself. Do you understand that? The eating with the mouth and the drinking are outward signs of an inward reality, they are connected. These are the means of grace which the Spirit uses to bring us and draw us, and He has sealed us to the Lord Jesus. And we know this as well. Remember what Paul, uh, Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 10, if we just back up the previous chapter. He says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Right? Isn't that amazing? our koinonia, our participation with Christ. Isn't that remarkable? And it's glorious. There's actual communion that happens between you and the Lord. It's a glorious communion by way of these ordinary elements that never change. But even so, they're the means that Christ uses to commune with you in and through those elements, the bread and the cup. What a tender Savior, And what a thoughtful Savior. What a merciful God who gives us precisely, exactly what we need. It's significant that God's people partake of the supper because it is the means through which Christ makes you strong. He nourishes your faith. He nourishes our weak and feeble faith. He strengthens that. Praise God, what a Savior indeed. And by these means, He communes with you. He comes and he communes and he nourishes by this little meal. And think for a moment, dear Christian, as well. What must happen, what must be there before a meal is eaten? Right. What does is, what is, what is eating a meal presuppose? Right? To eat and to drink, one must what? You must hunger and thirst. Hunger and thirsting must always precede the satisfying of that hunger and thirst. And thirsting and hunger, hunger, hungering is our prerequisites for us to come to the Lord's table. You see that? Before we come to the table of the Lord, we must hunger. We must thirst. And what a vivid picture that we have there, right? Have you ever been hungry? Truly hungry. Maybe you're camping or maybe you're hiking or maybe you've gone too long without food and from work or whatever it might be. It hurts to hunger. It is uncomfortable. It is miserable. And it makes you long to be satisfied. It makes you long for food. It focuses all of your mind and attention on satisfying that longing to be filled. And that's just how we come to Christ, is it not? You see the picture of hungering and thirsting? We come hungry and we come thirsting for the Lord. It hurts and we need to be satisfied with Christ. We long for Him. He is the desire of our souls. And so this hungering and thirsting for Jesus moves us to an active response to the table that is laid out before us, Christ in the meal. And we come hungry and thirsting. And Christ said, I am the bread of life. I am the drink. Come, partake of me. We respond, I will come. I come to Jesus to eat and to drink. It is an active response. It focuses on the active component, the active nature of faith. It is an active engagement of faith with an understanding of what is being offered in the meal of the Lord's Supper. So we come, brothers and sisters, because when we do, by faith, your souls are fed. You are filled, you are satiated indeed Jesus is the only satiation for your soul and supper involves inherently an appeal for an informed active response of faith. It is a meal that that, that appeals to maturity it is a meal of maturity. it is a meal that calls us to examine ourselves and it calls us to discern um, once again first corinthians eleven twenty seven Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. What does this mean to examine yourself? Well, for some people, this has taken the form It's taken to the point where people are afraid to come to the table because they don't think that they've examined themselves enough. And so they never or they rarely come to the table. On the other hand, some assume that all should come indiscriminately. But what have we been talking about so far? What is to examine yourself? What does that mean when Paul says that? Well, one very simple question will take you a long way in accomplishing that examination. Uh, The question is, uh, do you believe in Jesus? Do I believe in Christ? Do I hunger and thirst for Jesus as a sinner in need of grace? Do I long for him from the pit of my despair and the pinnacle of my neediness? Those are good questions to ask in examination for the supper. Brothers and sisters, you should be able to respond in faith and vigor to those examining questions. Right? And if you do, you're well along. And then also there's the question of do I understand what is going on? Do I come seeking to turn and find his grace in my life? Right? That's the examination. We could, of course, fill this out and so on. But one thing we must avoid is a view that teaches that the examination uh, becomes a completely introspective and exhaustive analysis of all your sins for all of your life. We are to look to Christ, not to ourselves, and we must avoid also the view that thinks nothing of the supper; that it's just a mere triviality. The Corinthians had a problem, and that they failed another exam, and that was the brotherly love exam. Right? They weren't loving one another, and it was showed up in the way that they were uh, that they were celebrating the supper. So much so that Paul says, "That's not the supper that you're that you're uh, that you're eating. It's not the Lord's supper." Recall Jesus himself said in Matthew, if you have something against your brother, you might want to refrain that worship until you resolve that issue with your brother. Stop your worship. Go get right with them and then come back and so worship. Right? And so, are you right with Jesus? Right? That's another question. Do you love him and do you long for him and his grace in your life? Am I right with my fellow brother in Christ? Am I right with my fellow Christian? And you know, this has ramifications in our practice, brothers and sisters. One of the things I loved about Providence when we very first visited was the practice of the supper here. Because you know what happens when you celebrate the supper weekly? You're forced to do what? To examine yourself weekly, right? And to prepare weekly for that communion with the Lord. And this, this forces what we call uh, keeping short accounts with God and with man. Of course, there are those who refuse to seek resolution and refuse to follow God's word in this regard. That is not safe, brothers and sisters. God's design and his, his desire for our lives is very clear. We are not to avoid or ignore conflict, right? We are here as a family of God to resolve conflict, with one another in Christ, seeking His face, seeking His glory. It's not safe to allow bitterness or slander or other poison to fester and grow and infect the body. It's not safe or wise or life-promoting. We're to examine. We're to get, get, uh, get your heart right before the Lord and before your fellow believer. And then Paul says we're to judge the body, we're to discern the body, right? We're to discern it. What does that mean, to discern the body? Well, this is one of those issues where if you read um, five different commentaries, you'll find five different suggestions as to what this means, right? Not everybody agrees. Some say that it means a mere understanding of the gospel, the facts of the gospel. Others say it means understanding what the elements are about, things that we've been talking about this morning. Others say it means discerning the body of Christ, meaning having a right attitude towards God's people, right the body of Christ. And those are all good and possible answers to what discerning the body means. But at bottom, I think what it means is we need to be able to examine ourselves and understand what is evident here, what what this event of celebrating the supper is all about. And none of these things, despite which of these you fall on, can be done by an infant cannot be done by an infant. They all require maturity. They all require some level of sober, rational assessment and thinking and analysis. And this is why we always call for a sensible, mature discernment. This is a meal of maturity. This kind of culmination of a way of life in a fellowship with Jesus it is the natural progression of things. not merely in terms of being baptized and growing on the milk of the word into a young person that thinks and believes for himself and discerns and desires to partake of Jesus because he hungers and thirsts for Christ and his mercy and his grace. He hungers and he thirsts consistently and for sure weekly, right? Hungering and thirsting and he longs to partake and to be reminded and fed afresh and fed again this glorious Savior and all that he's done for us, applying his benefits to us. And notice that this is not lost on our liturgy, on our order of worship, right? We do the things that we do for a reason. And every week we come confessing our sins. And we then have the pronouncement of cleansing from the word of the Lord. And as we listen to the Word of God, we do so. And it's through this Word of God that, through which Christ binds us to Himself. And we move to the Lord's Supper. We come to the crescendo of worship communion with God in Christ Jesus. Moving on and upward in richness and depth of covenant life. We come in as His people, thirsting and starving and crying, I've longed for Jesus. Because of his incarnation, and because of his death, and because of his resurrection, I look to him for forgiveness of my sins. Hallelujah. May we, brothers and sisters, may we indeed ever hunger and thirst for Jesus, our King and our Redeemer. May we go from here afreshed again and reminded again of our great and mighty and perfect provision of life, Christ. And before we descend from here back into the land of exile, back into the world, may we feast, though it be a token meal, though it be small, may we feast on this meal of maturity. May we delight in Jesus for what he has done. May we long to be fed and filled, and may our hungry souls be fed and full of Christ. So let us walk in this life with certainty of life in the next, our true home of glory. May the world, by the Spirit working through us, be truly turned upside down and drawn to inquire of our joy and our fellowship. All to the praise of His glory. Amen.